Well, if you have a Bible, let's open up to Isaiah chapter 53. I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but in the New Testament, Isaiah 53 is the most quoted Old Testament chapter. Some of you guys probably thought that because it's such a huge, huge chapter. Uh, Martin Luther said it would be beneficial for us to memorize Isaiah 52 verse 13 all the way through 53 verse 12 because remember the bible was you know divided up into chapters in the year 1277 and so they probably made a mistake it should start in isaiah 52 verse 13 where it says behold my servant shall deal prudently no he, he shall be exalted and extolled and be very high in 52, the first three verses there, they kind of give a summary. Now, when we talk about the cross, where does the cross lead? The cross leads to the crown. And so Jesus is going to go to the bottom, but then he's going to go to the top because of the cross. And so remember that the next time you're having a hard time denying yourself, the next time you're having a hard time you know, thinking about the cross and, and that, that struggle and that pain it is, Remember that before the crown, there's a cross. And so this whole chapter has to deal with Jesus being exalted. So my, my, my servant, my servant, behold, my servant. That's who Jesus is. He said he shall deal prudently. He's going to behave wisely. The devil's not going to defeat him. The world, no way. And so he will be exalted. He will be extolled. He will be very high. And some see in that the resurrection, the ascension, and the coronation of Jesus. So amazing, right? But when you look at it right here, it says, just as many were astonished at you, more than likely thinking of Israel, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. You know, so more than likely it's in reference to Israel having gone through a lot. This is what's called a prophetic past. He's talking as if it's the past, but it's really the future. Just as many were astonished at Israel, and I can't believe everything that they've gone through, right? So his visage, his face, his feature was marred more than any man in his form, more than the sons of men. He was disfigured to the point where you couldn't even recognize that he was a man. He was minced meat on the cross. And what we see right here is this whole first three verses are kind of a summary. How he will be exalted, how will he get the crown? Through the cross, this crazy cross, that's how much he loves you. And then it says, so shall he sprinkle many nations. There's the gospel. Not just Israel, many nations. So shall he sprinkle many nations, the Bible says. Kings, kings they shall shut their mouths at him they're going to be silent on him because what they have not been told they shall see and what they had not heard they shall consider eventually even kings they're going to see they're going to understand what jesus has done it's a beautiful thing when you look at that summary right there but, but remember it's not just isaiah's evangelist he's not just saying it for information He's saying it for transformation. He says, who has believed, in the next verse, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? You know, because at the end of the day, you know, Jesus died on the cross for every single sin we have ever done. 
But that doesn't mean that every person gets saved. Even though he died for us, even though he paid the price, we have to believe in him. And as you believe, then you're saved. And so Isaiah is saying, who has believed our report? I don't know our message. I don't know who the R is. Is it the Father, Son, Holy Spirit? Is it Isaiah and friends? Is it Israel? Is it the church? But it's a good question. More than likely, you guys, on a Thursday night, you know, more than likely, you're all believers. You guys believe in Jesus? You believe he died for you on a cross? Because he loves you? He rose again? And you believe that by placing your faith in him, you are free and forgiven? And if you were to get shot, if you were to die, you go to heaven, huh? See, we have believed. But that Lord uses this. Isaiah wrote this so that people would get saved. That's what happened in the book of Acts chapter 8 when the Ethiopian eunuch was reading the scroll of Isaiah. He was right here in Isaiah 53, and Philip explained it to him. Next thing you know, he got saved and he got baptized. And so this is why this is written. It says, for he shall grow up before him, speaking of Jesus, growing up before the Father as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. And so the Father was always there, you know, as Jesus was growing up in his humanity, not in the best of settings. He grew up, you know, as a root out of dry ground. It was not good circumstances by any means. But it says right here something interesting when you think of Jesus growing up. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that, that we should desire him. You know, when we're looking at, at Jesus, and, and, you know, I think that there's something here that tells us that physically he wasn't, like, attractive. You know, you look at him, and you wouldn't be drawn to him. And I think that God did that on purpose, Right? You know, we have these paintings of Jesus, and most of the paintings that we see of Jesus, he's a good-looking guy. What if they did one that he wasn't so good-looking? What if they did one, and again, I know beauty is in the eyes of the beholder, don't get me wrong, but man, maybe it might correct something that we really don't even address uh, frequently, and that is we got to stop looking at the outward appearance. You know, I mean, we have to be able to see that the, the substance, the content to an individual is not the way they look. And some people, they spend a lot of time on the outside, but very little time on the inside. Some people will look at that one and they'll say, you know what, I'm not really interested in talking to them, hanging out with them. They don't got the look. And God, I don't want to marry them. I don't want to you know, have a relationship with them. And a lot of people have made mistakes because they married because of the appearance. And God says, no, get to know the individual. You might find out that that one is beautiful. There's something here about the fact that he had no, no, no comeliness. The word come, it wasn't like, I don't know. But then, let me ask you guys a question. If you got to know Jesus, do you think he'd be attractive? Oh my gosh, absolutely. You know, but here we see, you know, his story we, we went and we covered all these things last week, but now we get into the fact that, you know, he, he died for us, and it's such an important thing. Have you guys ever heard of that word extravagant? Extravagant. The word, it means lacking restraint in spending money 
or using resources in foolish ways. You know, you buy something and, it, and you spend too much money on it, exceeding what is reasonable or appropriate. For some people, buying things like that is absurd. Uh, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but George Clooney, he spent $13 million on his wedding. That's a lot of money. That's what you would call extravagant. And you thought you spent a lot of money on your wedding, I'll bet, huh? Well, I'll try $13 million. I think George Clooney is still married. I'm not sure, but that's a lot of money. Lady Gaga, did you guys know this? Lady Gaga spent $60,000 on one fish. One is a koi fish. I guess it was special. I don't know what, what about it. You know, but um, $60,000 on one fish. I, I read Kanye West. I don't know if you guys heard about this. This is crazy. He spent $750,000 on his toilets. On his toilets. I guess they're gold toilets. I, I, I kind of want to try them. That's crazy. Think about it. I don't know what it is about that, but think about $750,000 on Toilets. And anyways, those are examples definitely of a, a extravagant, you know, someone spending money, I think, foolishly. But, but in one sense, the, this whole message that we talk about when it comes to Jesus can be described with the same word, extravagant. How the Father gave his Son to not just come and be a man, but to die, and not just die, but die on a cross and shed his blood for me. Now, let me tell you something. That, in my estimation, is extravagant. Because I don't consider myself valuable. And I don't know, there's nothing more valuable than God. But think about it. That's what's happened to us. You know, the Bible says in 1 Peter 1.18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You know, I think about that. And I pray you guys would know this as we study this amazing section of Scripture in which, in one sense, have you guys ever done it where you have a picture and you zoom in on it? Do you guys ever do that? I do it all the time because my eyes are bad. You know, hey, my, wife, my daughter will show me something. I'm sorry, babe, I, sweetheart, I can't see it, and I zoom in or whatever. You know, uh, sometimes we need to, you know, break out the, the microscope and look deeper that's why when it comes to this section, Isaiah 52.13 through 53.12, I encourage you to memorize it. And not only that, I think for us, we've got to zoom in. We have to know this and, and let it you know, find a place in our heart because I believe if we do, it's really life-changing. And so we've got to camp out. We can't just fly by. I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but the rabbis don't like looking at this because it is so clear and vivid in his presentation of Jesus. And so let's jump over to 53, and we start in verse 3, where it says, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. 
He was despised and we did not esteem him. You know, and so I don't know how it is. I mean, think about it. We don't really have anything on the life of Christ a whole lot. I mean, you got a little bit here, a little bit there. But, you know, wonder what his life was like growing up. What was it like? And I wonder if one day we'll be able to ask him about that in heaven. Because I, I tell you what, it'll be fascinating. But we actually kind of have a little bit here. You know, here it says that he is despised, and I thought it was interesting because later it says he was despised. Here it says he is despised, and there's something about even today the way that they use his name uh, in vain, and they don't exalt him the way they should, but he is despised, loathed, scorned, looked down on, and, and rejected, refused, dismissed, spurned, unaccepted by men. That, that's who Jesus is. He's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And that means familiar with suffering. He's no stranger to heartache. And we, speaking of Israel, but Israel was symbolic of all of us probably would have done the same thing. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. You know, the word despise found twice in this single verse is there for emphasis. God offered himself, but was rejected. God not only became a man, but he became a man of sorrows, uh, of grief. And it's interesting because in one sense, that's kind of like the general description of his life. I mean, you know, that's who he was. Uh, Something that's really interesting, too, about this phrase, rejected by men, In the Hebrew language, it's not just your typical translation of men. It's more detailed in its description. As a matter of fact, the only other passage that has this particular Hebrew are passages that refer to high-ranking men. So he is despised and rejected by high-ranking men. One prominent Dutch, Dutch theologian said, no respectable men... Jesus had no respectable men with him to support him with their authority. Now, now I don't know if that was him growing up. No respectable men, rejected by men, despised. I mean, because there's so many like factors involved. Think about this. The devil knew who this was. I mean, that's God. I mean, I'm sure there were boundaries around Jesus and protection around Jesus. But man, the devil, I mean, do you think he was lying to To Jesus' family? Do you think he was lying to Jesus' friends? I mean, what was it like for him when he went to the synagogue? I mean, it's just so different. And so did he have a a male influence, high-ranking man when he was uh, accepted by a high-ranking man when he was growing up? What did his rabbis think about him? I mean, we saw him in the temple. We don't really know a lot, but I know it was difficult for him. Definitely for sure when he got older and he started his ministry, right? What we see here is just so amazing. Colin Dellert said, The chief men of his nation who towered above the multitude, the great men of this world, withdrew their hands from him, drew back from him. He had none of the men of any distinction on his side. This is uh, Jesus. This it's so much more, it, it, it broke his heart. 
You know, I don't know if you know people walking around with that type of grief and sorrow, but that's who he was. He was acquainted with grief, and that's an interesting thing. It literally, it speaks of sickness. Um, was he sick? We don't know. We don't know for sure. Is it figuratively speaking of, you know, sin and its effects upon him? Uh, was it the sickness around him that he saw? Imagine that God... Holy, perfect, witnessing all this heartache everywhere around him. These officers that got shot. I mean, people getting molested, abused, beaten down, the poverty, the, just all this stuff. I mean, the, imagine how it affected him. And, and as he's there, you know, he's doing this largely alone. You know, when you look at that, what was it like for the perfect, holy, all-loving God to walk on our shoes and be shooed away from the people he made and loved and he came to die for? I don't know. A lot of people, and I, I don't know if you guys ever feel that way, but you go to church or you go to a, a, your friend's house or you go to hang out with people and, and you feel like social anxiety. You know, you, you feel funny, man. You You wonder like, man, I don't think... That person likes me. I don't know what it's like for you. I know that's a big problem nowadays. It's difficult sometimes to be around people. No, but Jesus here, he that's that was that was it wasn't just in his imagination. I mean it was fact. You know, when Jesus came in, people went the other way. He was despised and rejected by men. They did not want anything to do with him. They hid their faces from him. And you know what that means? Hid their faces. What is that? that means that there was no desire to be face to face with him. There was no desire when Jesus came. There was no desire for people to fellowship with him. There was a certain aspect of that. To be face to face is a cultural thing. As a matter of fact, in John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. In the, the language, it means he was face to face with God. It means there was fellowship there. We, when Jesus came, we, generally speaking, hid our faces from him. That, that, that just, I mean, just total rejection. And, and it, it just makes us wonder so many questions. What was it like for him? He didn't get a second look. He wasn't considered important. Uh, there was really nothing that would attract them to him. One translation says there was nothing attractive about him, nothing that caused us to say, take a second look. He was looked down on and passed over. A man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him, thought he was scum. So just in case you're wondering, like when Jesus came, like we don't know a lot, but we do know this. This is what it was like for him. So if that's what it was like for you, what would you do? You came into this church and everybody thought you were scum. And nobody wanted to talk to you. They didn't even want to give you a second look. You know what you would do? You would say, Charlotte, I'm out of here, man. I want nothing to do with them. I hope God burns that church down or something. That's the way that we are, you know? But, but you know, Jesus, we're going to see the reason all this is coming before us. Not only is it telling us what it was like for him, 
But it's just telling us about his love for us. That, that you know, we sometimes, we blow it. Any of you guys ever blow it? Do you ever mess up? Do you ever sin? I know I do. I do it a lot. And I don't take that lightly. But, but I know my Bible, so I know my God. And I know he loves me. Because this is how he is. Even though, if that would have been me, some of you guys are like, well, if I would have been there, man, I would have been Jesus' best friend. You may have spit on him. You may have been the one to beat him up. You know, a lot of times, we, well, if I were Adam, I wouldn't have ate the apple. She probably would have ate it before he did. So what we're seeing right here is Jesus is, man, this is what's going down for him. You know, this is the one who was divine and yet rejected, our Redeemer. They considered him insignificant, and yet we're going to see he's our Savior. One thing I want to share about Christianity and about Christ. You know, you got a lot of people in the world today, they don't really want anything to do with it. They don't want anything to do with the church. They don't want anything to do with Christ. You know, they look at it and they're like, I don't want to do that. You know, and, and it's a sad thing. But what we're going to see here, what ends up happening is you, you, you really, I think, won't come to him until you, you, you realize your need for him. You know, and it has to register, hopefully, someday in everybody's heart. Listen, if you die without Jesus you're not going to go to heaven. I don't care how good you are. We need Jesus. And when you come to him and you get to know him, you know, talk about being attracted to him. You know, you guys, if you got to know me, I don't know how that would work out. Some of you guys would like me. Some of you guys wouldn't. Men will fail you. Men will fail you. The best of men are men at best, and that may tell you, and that's not saying anything good. Jesus will never fail you. And that's why we're, we're talking about him. We're pointing you to him. Look at verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded. And now you have to read this with the emphasis on the word "our." But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised or crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And here it is. And by his stripes we are healed. I mean, there's so many things that we could go and we could talk about this verse forever. You go back to chapter 52, verse 13, and remember, what's the first word there? Behold. Behold, look, can you see this message? Behold this. And then here you have another word that's important, surely. Surely. I mean, this is not, you know, fabricated. This is not fiction. This is not fantasy. This is fact. Surely. He has borne our griefs. He has carried them. And it's just so beautiful to see what God has done. You know, when you see what the Lord has done, uh, what does it mean that he's borne our griefs? 
and carried our sorrows. What does that mean? I mean, again, no one knows everything, but I know a few things come to mind. Number one, he knows how you feel generally because he went through it as a human being. The Bible talks about that in the book of Hebrews. He was tempted in all points as we, yet he, he didn't succumb to sin. I mean, he went through all the different gamut of emotions, people dying, you know, different things, the categories of temptations, people suffering. I mean, you name it, the pain that people feel in their bodies and the, whatever, the, the rejection, the put-downs. I mean, you, I don't know. Whatever it, pain, grief, suffering that you will ever experience in life, he's born that because of the fact that he's a human. He became a human. Secondly, he feels how you feel personally because he enters into our griefs and sorrows as only God can. You know, when you go through something, God's not like at a distance, oh, you know, no, he goes in and he's right there with you and he's empathizing with you. You know, the, the very sorrows and griefs and sufferings that you've experienced, he carries that. And then thirdly, on the cross, here it is, when he bore all our sins, he also experienced all the heartache that accompanies the consequences of our sins. Like, for example, earlier when it talks about the, uh, the, 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 the fact that, you know, he has, uh, you know, experienced all our sicknesses. Why do people get sick? Because of sin. Why do people get depressed? Because we live in a fallen world, there's sin. Why do people get suicidal? Because of sin. Why do people, and you name it, whatever the, the gamut of emotions are, it's all because of sin. So when he bore all our sins, he felt every heartache, every grief, every sorrow, every single one of them. Think about that, that we've ever gone through. And so Isaiah says, you know, it's just crazy how he was rejected and yet he was our redeemer. We esteemed him, determined him to be deserving of death. Notice again, if you would, look at verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. Where it says esteemed him, it just basically says we, when we saw, like generally speaking, when they saw Jesus dying, they said he deserves it. Have you guys ever watched those 2020s or whatever the, the shows are, the Datelines, and you see all the evidence presented by the television station, and then you watch it and you say, that guy deserves to die. Have you ever done that? That's what they did to Jesus. They didn't know all the facts. They just saw what was presented to them by the men, the men who were in authority. We, we esteemed him. We said he's stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. He deserves it. But there's when verse 5 just kicks in. He was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquity, the chastisement for our pieces upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. When I was a, a teenager, I remember one time um, 
my friends, uh, they were pretty crazy, and they did some horrible things. Actually, went in and they just uh, they did some damage and some property down the street. And I don't know how this ended up happening, but somehow they called my house and they said that Manny did it. And so you, this is one of the the few times I remember in my life um, from someone I don't want to say who it is. They beat me down. It was weird because this person had never done this to me. But they beat me down for something that I didn't do. I'll never forget. Now, now Jesus went in, he got not just beaten down, he got killed for something he didn't do. He paid a price, he paid a debt he didn't owe because we owed a debt we couldn't pay. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised, and that word means crushed, for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. So the thing about it is that when you understand that, I hope you guys understand this. You know, I hope you know this. I don't want you guys to walk away in kind of like feeling guilty. I can't believe I did that to Jesus. I kind of don't want you to do that, although that you should have a healthy understanding of that that we were the ones that put him on the cross. It, it wasn't the Jews. It wasn't the religious leaders. It wasn't the Romans. It was us, right? But, you know, when you look at it, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was you know, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace, the punishment for our peace was upon him and by his stripes were healed. My, my prayer is that we walk away from this understanding that we have peace with God that you have peace with God, that you are healed because of what Jesus has done. See, that's really, I mean, we have to come away with that. It's so important for us to have that in our heart. You know, when we look at it, we understand it was our fault. Look what it says in verse 6. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In the Old Testament, man, and this is why I trip out, man. I trip out on why the Jews don't believe in Jesus. I mean, not only because there's so many scriptures that are so clear in their prophecies about him, but because of the fact that in the Old Testament, I mean, you saw from the very beginning that an animal would have to shed his blood in order for someone to be forgiven. And you guys remember in the Old Testament, the way that they set up the law was the guys would take and they would lay their hands on the animal. They would lay their hands on, on the sheep. And what that would do, they knew it. Everybody knew it. It would transfer the sins to the animal, right? You guys know about this, right? They would transfer the sins to the animal and then they would kill the animal. You guys know that, right? It was, you see it throughout the whole Levitical system. The whole ceremonial law of Israel was about that, killing all these animals. Without the shedding of blood, the Bible says in Hebrews 9.22, there is no remission of sins. So everywhere they were killing animals, killing animals, killing animals. And so the Jews, they're, they're smart people. They're smart people. I mean, you guys, even today, I mean, they've won uh, these Nobel Prizes. I mean, it's just so amazing how intelligent they are, things that they can do when it, with the vaccine and the iPhones and all that kind of stuff. And so when you're looking at them and they're transferring their sins to an animal and they're killing an animal, what's that all about? I mean, it sounds rather, you know, 
I mean, what is that? And, and what we find is that it was just a shadow, a, a prophecy of what would happen one day, how God would be able to provide atonement and forgiveness in that vicarious cross of Jesus Christ. I mean, to us, isn't it clear? It's so simple. All the things that I've ever done were transferred to him, and he died for, for me. He paid the price. I deserve hell forever. You guys understand that? You guys deserve, do you guys know that you deserve, we deserve hell forever? Do you guys believe that? Okay, because if you don't, then you're in big trouble. <laughs> That's why it had to be God. Why did I deserve hell forever? You want to know why? Because you sinned against your parents. No, I'm just joking. That's not why. Because you sinned against God. That's why. The infinite God, creator God, holy God. Therefore, it had to be an infinite payment. That's why it had to be God to die for our sins. And that's what Jesus did. Today, you know, you, you look at Judaism and you would figure they would see the prophecy fulfilled in Jesus Christ, but what do they try to do? They try to earn their way to heaven by doing good works. Just being a good person. Oh, it's a day of atonement. It's Yom Kippur. I better do more good works today. Well, if good works could get you to heaven, then why did an animal ever have to die? You know, it just doesn't make any sense. You know, we, like sheep, we've gone astray. Sheep have a tendency to do that, right? First Peter 2.25 also mentions that. And it's kind of sad the way it says, we have turned everyone to his own way. Ecclesiastes 7.29 says something similar, but I did find this. God created people to be virtuous, but they have turned to follow their own downward path. You know, God then goes after us as sheep that are lost. You read Luke chapter 15, it talks about the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son and just how, you know, the Lord loves them so much. Goes looking for the lost sheep, uh, sweeps the whole house for the lost coin, waits for the prodigal to return. You know, we like sheep, we've, we've gone astray, but the Lord has laid on him. The Lord has done this work and the iniquity of us all. The last verse in verse seven, this is the last one for tonight. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. You, know, you just look at the life of Christ and you see, imagine what it was like. And you guys know a little bit about the arrest and the beatings and, and the scourgings with the cat and nine tails and just the, the whole suffering that he went through. And, and yet he opened not his mouth. And, and I, you know, that to me, it speaks volumes. You know, you read that throughout the scriptures and the gospels, it talks about it a lot, how he didn't say anything, he didn't say anything. He accepted the cross. You know, I wish I was like Jesus. I wish I was like him. You know, just be quiet, Manny. You know, because sometimes we say things that we shouldn't say, huh? Because we're hurting or because we're mad. But what we find right here is that Jesus was led as a lamb 
to the slaughter and he was silent. And I, and I, and I, there's a lot to that. Uh, sometimes what happens, you guys, and sometimes the reason that we shouldn't say anything is because, believe it or not, when we start talking, we start saying the wrong thing and it leads us. It actually leads us the wrong way. And so that's part of it. But another reason why Jesus was silent is because of the fact that it says right here that as a lamb before its shears is silent. Now, from what I understand, when a lamb's wool gets heavy, you know, it's learned over the years, I'm going to go before my shepherd, or, you know, this guy is taking care of me, and he's going to take all this weighty stuff off of me, Right? And so have you guys ever seen those uh, pictures of the lambs? They got all this, you know, wool and heavy and it's crazy, right? And so when they go, eventually they learn, oh, I can trust him. I can trust my shear. And so they go and the lambs there, no problem. Why? Because they trust the shepherd. They trust their owner. And, and I guess... It's a combination of those two things. How Jesus could go through so much and not open his mouth. How Jesus could go through so much and not defend himself. How he could be silent. Number one, he didn't want to go the wrong way. But number two, it's because he knew what he was doing and he trusted his father. And it's just so beautiful when you look at this whole thing you know, what we find is that Jesus here redeems us by dying for us. And I believe with all my heart that the more that sinks in, the more it sinks in. I'm forgiven. I'm free. Um, He was silent, but it was an extravagant purchase. You know, it wasn't like George Clooney spending $13 million on his wedding. It wasn't Lady Gaga $60,000 on a fish. It wasn't Kanye West whatever, $750,000 on his toilets. It was God spending his son, Acts twenty twenty eight purchased with his own blood on you. Let me ask you a question as we close tonight. Is there any sin that the blood of Jesus cannot forgive? No way, huh? And so do you know who you are? If you believe in Jesus, do you know who you are? You're forgiven. You're forgiven. And so what we need to do is go out and we need to live our lives in light of that truth.